0: Well, if you're new to the church or you've been away for a little while, uh, we are in the midst of a series, Uh, it's running for 20 weeks, uh, where we are somewhat ambitiously looking to work our way through the entire Bible. Uh, The Bible is arguably the most influential piece of writing in all of world history. Uh, Year in, year out, by some margin, it's the world's best-selling book, And yet most people haven't read it all the way through, and a lot of people haven't read it at all. And so what we're trying to do, first of all, is help people who aren't Christians, who perhaps pitch up here week after week, trying to help them find out what the message of the Bible is. Really, it's a great investment. 20, 35 minute, 40 minute, 45 minute episodes, the whole Bible, It's also easy for those who are Christians, who have read the Bible, perhaps day in, day out, over a number of years, to do that but still miss the big picture. We can very much get caught up in the detail and fail to see how the entire story fits together. So, even if you are really very, very familiar with the Bible, what this series is encouraging you to do is take a step back and understand a little more about what the message of the Bible actually is. So just to catch you up with where we've got to over the last three weeks, we've seen how God invites us right at the very beginning of the Bible to make a fundamental choice, a choice between submitting to God as creator of all and living our lives to worship Him or forgetting about Him and pretty much living for ourselves. We've also seen that very often the people that God chooses to use are not the obvious choice they're very often nobodies who believe and risk everything to follow him. And we've also learnt a whole lot about the main character in the story, God himself. In many respects, the Bible is God's autobiography. So last time, as we looked in on Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we caught this pretty stunning glimpse of God's power, his love, his holiness, his righteousness. What we're going to be seeing this time is how to go about laying hold of the promises of God. We're going to be looking at the Old Testament books of Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. But by way of introduction, just want to say, I think there's a very real danger this morning that we could get slightly distracted and zoom back in on the smaller picture in these books, You see, there's a big focus here on a plot of land that God promised Israel. The word land occurs 102 times in the book of Joshua. The word translated boundary or territory or border appears 84 times and the word for allotment 26 times. Now, I'm just flagging this up because it seems like every time you turn on the news at the moment, there's a story about this 8,000 square mile patch of land in the Middle East. Israel is in the news all the time at the moment, isn't it? And so, depending on your political persuasion, when you read the books of Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, you can find yourself reacting in one of two different ways. It's possible that you're not very impressed by the actions of Israel. In which case, you read these books of the Bible and you're thinking, I just can't believe it. I and mean, The Bible is like some kind of Zionist propaganda booklet. It's like Joshua goes into the promised land and kicks out all of these different ethnic groups. What on earth is that all about? It's easy to get offended by it. On the flip side, you you might be one of those people who just loves Israel. It's like Israel for you can do no wrong. It's as though they have a divine right to do whatever they want, whenever they want. Now both of those views fall into the same trap. The problem with both views is they put the emphasis on the patch of land and they fail to see the big picture. God wants us to zoom out And see what's really going on here. Now, the way to do that is to allow the New Testament to explain and make sense of the Old Testament. Really, that's how it is in any book. You start at the beginning, but often it's only when you reach the final chapters that you fully grasp what was really happening earlier on. You you get to the end of a good book or perhaps a good film, and you're left thinking, wow. Necessarily see that one coming. I like to read it or watch it all over again to piece together the bits that I missed. Well, the Bible's like that. Although we're going through it from start to finish, it's only when we get to the last third of the Bible that we're told what some of the earlier events really mean. So, if we want to get the big picture of Joshua and Judges and Ruth, really we've got to zoom right out and try and grasp what the New Testament says they're really all about. You see, up until now we've had God making some pretty amazing promises to his people. If you remember he promised Abraham that Abraham would be the father of many nations, despite the fact that Abraham and his wife were a couple of childless senior citizens. Seemed impossible, but it happens just as God promised. God makes promises to Joseph that again looked highly unlikely as he was carried off to Egypt as a slave, later imprisoned. But again, God used it all to fulfill every single one of his promises. And then last week we saw how God promised the Israelites that he was going to take them out of captivity in Egypt and into the promised land. I mean, how on earth were they ever going to escape from the clutches of Pharaoh, who was the most powerful ruler in the world at that time? But As we saw, God did it. And then, how on earth were they going to cross the Red Sea without any boats, while the Egyptian chariots are chasing behind them, hot on their heals. But as we saw last time, God makes a path for them miraculously through the sea. That's the background to these books, Joshua, Judges and Ruth. And really, in these three books, it's as though God is making an impassioned appeal to us today. He's effectively saying to us, you've heard all of this stuff, now what are you going to make of my promises to you? What are you going to do as a result of all of this? The small picture puts the emphasis on the promised land. It's all about the land. but The New Testament tells us to put the emphasis on the promised land. It's all about the promises of God. Hebrews 11 in the New Testament tells us that these people had to trust the promises that God had given them and then asked whether we are willing to trust God with the promises that He has given us. And so what I want to try and do today is help you grasp the big picture of these three books of the Bible. Hopefully, I'll inspire you along the way to go away and read them for yourselves and get into the detail because I'm just going to stick to the big picture. I'm going to skim over kind of big sections. You might think, what about that? What about this? Those are my favourite bits. Why isn't he mentioning them? Big picture is what I'm trying to do. And the reason I'm doing that is really I want to give you time at the end for you individually to respond to God, just so you're prepared, this really is the kind of message that demands a response. Either you'll go away at the end responding to God, Oh, yeah, I know it in my head, but there is absolutely no way that I'm going to take any risks to trust you, God, or you'll go away saying something like this, I believe this isn't just someone else's story, and as a player in this same story today. I'm going to try and imitate the faith that they had. I'm going to grab hold of the promised land that God, I believe, you've given me. Because God has made all of us promises. It's like, to the people in the Bronze Age Middle East, God was saying, the big promise I'm making to you is the land. And if you read the story, you can understand why. The Moabites try and annihilate the Israelites So the Midianites and the Amalekites and the Egyptians, it's as though everyone's trying to kill them. Everyone's got it in for them. Naturally, their biggest need was a safe haven, this small pocket of land where they could survive. But that might not be what God is promising to you and me today. In fact, I'm pretty sure it isn't. God's made us all sorts of different promises And the danger is that we get so caught up in the small picture when we read books like Joshua and Judges and Ruth that we think of them just as history books about what God wanted to do through someone else completely disconnected to us. Of course, these are history books. They are talking about God's workings for people in history. But these three books are also a personal, direct message to you. They're an invitation from God to believe him for the things he's promised to do in your life. The question God asks is, will you? Will you trust me? Will you believe me for the promises I've made to you? doesn't matter who you are. God has made you promises. You might not be a Christian. Promises God makes to you is if you will come and confess your sins, I will forgive you. It's an amazing promise, but it's a promise that requires faith. And one of the key things in these three books of the Bible that marks people out from one another is whether they have the faith to believe God will do what he says he's going to do. Maybe you're a Christian, you know you're forgiven, but it's as though there are still these areas, these pockets of sin in your life that you just can't break free from and the promise God makes to you is, if I set you free, you will be free. Perhaps the question God's asking you through these three books of the Bible is, if I say I'll set you free, do you believe it? Are you living in the good of it? You might have something wrong with your body today. You might, might be a battle just being here because of sickness or pain that you carry around and you want God to heal you. One of the big promises of God in the Bible is I am the God who is your healer. God's wanting to ask you even this morning, will you believe me that I can heal you? Or perhaps heal your friends through you? All sorts of different promises and not just for us as individuals, it's for us as a whole church. Like in Psalm 2 verse 8 God says, ask of me and I'll make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. It's like God saying the nations are right here on your doorstep. And I want to open up whole communities to you. Really, no area, no domain, no sphere is closed to me. It was never just about one small patch of land. Do you believe me that I'm going to use you to reach whole nations, whole people groups? So here's the challenge. Do you believe God's promises today? Or do you breathe through life kind of aware that God helped some people thousands of years ago, but in all honesty, that doesn't make a whole lot of difference to how you live right now? After five books of the Bible that are jam-packed with God keeping His promises to other people, really these three are all about whether you will trust God to keep His promises to you. So what I want to do in the time that remains is show you how five different groups of people respond when it comes to the promised land and I want you to listen to this honestly and reflect on which group you fit into. First of all just to backtrack, we ended last week with the Israelites leaving Egypt and going through the desert, wandering through the wilderness. We'll call them the Exodus generation. They were doing really very, very well until they reached the border of of the promised land because we're all doing really well until we reach the border of the promised land. Does God heal? Of course he does until there's someone sick who you need to pray for. That's when you realise whether you really believe this stuff. Of course we can worship God singing songs about him being the great provider until we lose our job or get into financial difficulty. Really, it's only on the boundary of needing to lay hold of God for something we finally realize whether we believe it or not. A little while ago, Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist, gave a lecture at the Edinburgh International Science Festival in which he claimed that faith is the great cop out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is blind trust in the absence of evidence. Even in the teeth of evidence. Actually, the exact opposite is true. You see, faith isn't closing your eyes to earthly facts, it's opening your eyes wide to heavenly facts. The Israelites had seen God perform some astonishing miracles in leading them out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. And God was expecting them to look at all of the phenomenal evidence of what he had done in the past and trust him for the future. It's like in view of all he had done for them, their lack of belief in God required more faith than actually believing in him. They don't disbelieve God because of the facts, they disbelieve Him very much in spite of the facts. It's absolutely tragic. They send spies into the promised land. Ten of the twelve spies they sent to explore the land persuaded them to act out of fear instead of faith. As a result, a whole generation perishes in the desert. Hebrews 3 and 4 in the New Testament warns us that we can miss out on our promised land in the same way. It says this their bodies fell in the desert. They were not able to enter because of their unbelief. The message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. It's a sobering warning. Just because God has promised you something doesn't mean it is going to happen. You're not going to enjoy it, you're not going to live in the good of it, you're not going to benefit from it if you don't lay hold of it in faith. Now against this backdrop comes Joshua. The Israelites have been living pretty much as nomads in the desert for 40 years. The promised land is full of massive fortified cities. And to even get there, they have to cross the River Jordan, which is in flood, and there are no bridges, and they have no boats. But God says to Joshua, in Joshua 1 verse 6, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their forefathers to give them. And that is precisely what Joshua did. He was strong. He was courageous. He did lead the people to inherit the land that God had promised. I don't know if you realise, but the name Joshua and the name Jesus are actually the same name in Hebrew and Greek. In order to not confuse us, we translate Joshua using the Hebrew name, Jesus using the Greek name. Really, they're the same name. It's as though God intends us to see Joshua's actions as a picture, as a prophecy about a better Joshua to come. Joshua brings victory to the Israelites, Jesus brings victory to the whole world i tell you, there are so many pictures of faith in Jesus scattered through this whole story. For example, after they've crossed the River Jordan, Joshua breaks some pretty bad news to the Israelite men. He says, guys, we should have been circumcised and we haven't. I mean, it's the most ridiculous thing to do or say before going into battle. So, right, I'm not going to give you a biology lesson here, you'll be relieved to know, but if you want to be really good at fighting, that is not an operation that's ever going to help. Uh, you, You are going to be very, very sore for quite a long time. But just before going into the promised land, Joshua says we're going to weaken ourselves out of faith in God. And the New Testament tells us in Colossians 2 verse 11 that we have been circumcised in Christ Joshua sheds the blood of the Israelites through circumcision so they can enter the promised land. Jesus sheds his own blood on the cross so that anyone can enter God's kingdom. Later on, Joshua brings down the stronghold of Jericho by commanding the priests to blow on trumpets made from ram's horns. Jesus brings down every stronghold which stands against us, because He's the Lamb whose death grants us complete victory. In all of this, Joshua keeps on trusting God, and as a result, we're told in Joshua 21 verse 45, not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Really, This entire book is an appeal for us to trust God. I don't know. You might not be a Christian. You might be thinking, there is no way that God could save a person like me. Or you might be a Christian and your friends aren't here with you today and in your heart of hearts you're thinking God could never save them. Throughout the book of Joshua, we are reminded that God can save absolutely anyone. There's a woman called Rahab. She's a prostitute in Jericho. She stumbles across two Israelite spies on a covert mission in the city before it falls. They're being pursued by some soldiers. Their lives are in danger. She hides them to save them from almost certain deaths. After the danger's passed, she says to them, look, I know that the Lord has given this land to you. She speaks with phenomenal faith Then she asks them, will you please spare my family? You know, I think one of the reasons God brings her into the story is to show that whatever your past, your future can be completely different. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. God's offer of salvation is for you. Just have to admit that you've been serving the wrong God. It's like I've been living for myself. I want to turn and trust in the true God, the God of heaven. That's what Rahab does and she experiences salvation. Really this is the invitation that God is making to some of you as well this morning. He's saying, there is absolutely nothing in your past that disqualifies you from experiencing my grace. If you will come to me and ask for forgiveness, I will forgive you. I will deal with your shame. I'll make you, I'll draw you into, I'll include you in the people of God. If you've been around the last few Sundays, you've heard us talking about something called an alpha course. Uh, And something called Balty and Big Questions. Both of them start in just over a week's time. Both of them are brilliant opportunities for you to come along and find out some answers to the questions you've got, or for you to invite your friends along to show them that the Christian faith isn't blind trust in the absence of evidence, it's a reasonable faith. God would say to you, trust me, there is absolutely nobody that you know whom I don't love and whom I can't save. If you believe that, why wouldn't you invite your friends along to discover Jesus for themselves, to put them in a place where they can encounter him in their own lives? book of Joshua it encourages us to have faith, which is important because the next book really isn't such good reading. Book of Judges, epic fail. That's a basic summary of the Book of Judges. Joshua dies in 1380 BC and Israel is then ruled by 14 judges and it's like as soon as Joshua is off the scene the people forget everything that God has taught them. We're told in Judges 2, verse 10, After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger. It's crazy. They start worshipping the idols of the Canaanites whom Joshua drove out of the land. They forgot their calling to be different from their neighbours. As a result, their neighbours came and reoccupied the land. Again, this is a sobering, sobering warning to us today. It's possible to try and piggyback on the faith of your parents or your friends. But the truth is, if you don't have faith in God for yourself, you stand the risk of losing the promises that God has for you. It's like even today, God is offering you a lifeline. Don't let apathy or pride or just wanting to look cool in front of your friends prevent you from laying hold of God for yourself. Imitation, the book of Judges, is basically to come to God and be honest about where you're at and say to God, please forgive me, I need your help, I want to turn back to you. Maybe you know that There areas of sin or compromise in your life right now. This morning is an opportunity for you to come back to God, for you to get right with Him. Now for all the compromise and all the secret sin and all the things going disastrously wrong as a result, the book of Judges does actually have its positive moments. In the midst of all the doom and gloom there are these occasional shards of light where people who are living without God, totally failing, turn back to Him and He in His grace forgives and restores them and instead of people invading their land and taking it off them, God gives them victories over their enemies. And so Hebrews 11 which celebrates the faith of the Old Testament greats mentions in passing people like Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, all of whom took God at his word and in their own individual ways obeyed him in face. Which brings us to the book of Ruth. It's like in this book God is making his final appeal to us. God, God takes one person's experience from the time of the judges and uses her to challenge you and me Well, what are you going to do as a result? The book of Ruth, there's a lady called Naomi. She's an Israelite and she basically loses faith in the promises of God. She leaves the promised land and goes to the land of Moab because there's a famine and she's effectively given up on God ever providing for her. But While she's there, she meets Ruth and Ruth ends up marrying Naomi's son. Now, Ruth is part of a race who have been trying to kill the Israelites. It is a race that exists because Abraham's cousin Lot got drunk one day and had sex with one of his own daughters. It's a horrible story. Ruth is part of that whole cursed family. And to make matters worse, she's infertile. She's unable to have children in a culture where women having children was everything. She's married to Naomi's son for 10 years before tragically he dies, leaving her a childless widow with no means of support. She ends up so poor she's forced to scavenge for food in the fields. She has nothing going for her, except she believes the promises of God. Getting the message? That's the invitation from God to you this morning. Do you believe my promises? doesn't matter what's going on in your life right now, doesn't matter if it's full of sin, if it's full of disappointment, if it's full of delayed hope. God's invitation to you today is, do you trust me that my promises to you are for real? Here's what happens with Ruth. Her mother-in-law Naomi heard that there was food again in the land of Israel. So she sets off back home and Ruth insists on accompanying her. Ruth says to her in Ruth 1 verse 16, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Now to cut, A long story short, she arrives back in the land of Israel with nothing going for her but she meets a wealthy landowner called Boaz and they fall in love. They get married, have children and end up being the great-grandparents of King David and ancestors to Jesus himself. Ruth becomes very much an integral part of the people of God despite having absolutely nothing going for her. And I believe it's for this reason. It's like there's this great invitation from God to focus on the promised land that God is offering you. Forgiveness. Breaking free from stuff that's really just messing up your life. Being fruitful in terms of telling other people about Jesus. Reaching people from other nations, drawing them into the promises of God. And all the time it's like, Ruth is there challenging you. Are you willing to trust God like I trusted God? God's made you so many promises. What are you going to do with them? Will you shrink back in fear like the whole Exodus generation? Will you forget God, just fit in with the culture around you? like so many in the judges' generation? Or will you, in faith, gamble everything on God, like Joshua and Rahab and Ruth? I want to invite you to stand, if you would. And we're going to pray, and I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this, As I flagged up through, through this talk, some of you here today, it's, it, it's an opportunity that God has given you to respond in faith and say, yeah, I'm in. I want to become part of your family. I want to be a Christian. I, I, I don't necessarily have all of the answers, but I've seen enough, I've heard enough to say, yeah, I'm in. I want to be a follower of Jesus myself. You can become a Christian today. Others of you, you... You, you need to make a decision to turn back to follow God. It's like you've, you've wandered away. There is are a compromise in your life. And God's here with grace. He's saying, my forgiveness is sufficient for you. Come back. There are promises that still are relevant for your life. You, you haven't messed up. You haven't missed out. Respond to me. Really for all of us, there are steps of faith. That God is calling us individually to take. I want to ask you, where does this resonate for you? What is your promised land? What is God calling you to lay hold of in faith? Wait for a few moments. I want you to respond quietly in your mind. Speak to God, maybe for the first time, maybe, maybe for the thousandth time, but tell Him your response.